Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, I, um, I, I love names. I know that sounds weird, but I love names. Um, I'm fascinated by their origins, uh, kind of the roots of them. And so this morning, since we just got done with 2023, I thought this morning it might be fun for us to look at the top five names of both girls and boys for 2023. Okay, if we kind of look at that this morning? Okay. So we're going to kind of count down from five. We're going to go down and we'll kind of do a drum roll for the last one. All right. So here we go. Here we go. Uh, the fifth most popular girl name last year was Charlotte. Charlotte. It's a beautiful name. Very um, kind of has that sophistication, old school, old old world kind of name. Very pretty. Okay, for boys, number five, Mateo. So we got some biblical roots there, right? Okay. Fourth for girls, Sophia. It's a pretty name. Sophia means it's wisdom in Greek. So that's kind of a beautiful name, meaning. Fourth for boys is Elijah. All right, I see the biblical themes going on here for the boys, all right? All right, number three for girls, Amelia. It's kind of fond of my heart. I have a niece named Amelia, so I love that, okay? For the boys, Oliver, old Ollie. It's always going to be a good one. Number two for the girls, Emma. Yeah, that one's usually on the list. Emma's a popular, always a popular name. For the boys, Liam. I, I, I'm pretty sure this was the American list and not the British list, but I'm not positive on that one, okay? So Liam in there, that kind of snuck in there on me. All right, ready? Number one for girls, drum roll, please. Here we go. Olivia. Oh, the lady's like, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. All right, for the boys, you ready? Drum roll again, here we go. Noah. Another biblical name. We did a pretty good job, all right? So Noah, very good one. All right. Listen, I'm, I'm always fascinated, truthfully, with why people name their children what they name them. I mean, a lot of times it comes because maybe it's a family name, and so they're passing it down, or maybe sometimes they just like the way that it sounded with their last name. It just, something like, like people say, it just rolls off the tongue better, right? Uh, some people like it that way. Um, I you know, it used to be a big thing. It's not as much anymore. You remember those baby name books that you used to get, and then you kind of look up the meaning? It's not as big a deal anymore, but I always loved that. I loved when they found a name that had some meaning to it, that it was something purposeful for it. So this morning, what I would love for us to do is I would love for us to see how God's name is actually much more important, much more than just letters that are put together. And so when we identify him, when we say his name, and when we talk about the name of the Lord, what I want us to see is I want us to see and I want us to give the honor that that name deserves. So we're going to talk about the name of God. So if you have your Bibles, 
We're going to be again in Matthew. Um, you're going to grow really familiar with us. If you didn't already know the Lord's Prayer, by the time we're done with this series, you're definitely going to have it memorized, all right? I'm, I'm sure most of you probably already do, but if you, if you don't, by the time we're done with this series, you definitely are. So we're going to be in Matthew again, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, starting in verse 9, okay? We're going to read this again and hear the Word of God. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so last week you might remember that we looked at just the first four words. We looked at just our Father in heaven and we unpacked it a little bit. And if you weren't here and you didn't get to hear that message, I highly recommend that you go online and listen to that as we unpack that. I'm going to give us a little synopsis right now, but um, there's a lot of meat to just those four words. And so I really highly recommend that you go and listen to that message. But we said last week that the main idea of what Jesus is saying when he starts out his model prayer, when he says, our Father in heaven, is that he's trying to define for us what the relationship that God's people, the church, have with God Almighty. And that is the intimate and personal relationship of God as our Father and we, the church, as His children. And we went so far as to say that if we wanted to know how well somebody understood Christianity, we'd have to understand how well do they understand the idea of being God's child and being in relationship with God as their Father. Because it's through this relationship that we define how we're going to communicate with God. Knowing God as Father defines how we pray, how we communicate to Him. And today, we're going to look just at the next four words. I know some of you are sighing. You're like, oh, four words at a time? Seriously, Pastor James, really, that's what we're going to do? But listen, I, I absolutely think that it's crucial for us to go through this prayer really slowly. And here's why. Because if the disciples... When they came to Jesus and they asked, Master, teach us to pray. And it wasn't just teach us to pray. If you remember in the Luke passage, it was teach us to pray as you pray, right? They had seen him pray and they wanted to learn how to pray like he did. Teach us to pray. If that is the model that Jesus gives, this Lord's prayer, then it's crucial for us to understand it as well. It was important for the disciples. It's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. That alone is important enough. But here at Community Fellowship, I want you to understand something. We have a list of values. Maybe you've seen them online. Maybe you've seen them on the wall as you walk through. But one of the core things that we believe here at this church is that we want to be prepared in God's presence. Prepared in His presence is one of the values that we have. And here's what that means. That means that prayer is important to us. Prayer and worship, we see it as a place where we as individuals and collectively when we come together on Sunday mornings as a church that we're humbled by God's presence in our lives and we're humbled by His grace in our lives. So prayer is not just important to us. We believe it's essential. Prayer is essential for a relationship with God. And here's why. Because it's in prayer that we learn a couple of things. 
okay? And a couple of things happen for us. The first one is that we learn to surrender to him the sinful and broken places in our lives that need renewal, his renewal in our lives. And the second thing is that we're prepared by his spirit to be led and directed by him. So that's why we believe that prayer and worship are integral and they're extremely important. And that's why we're taking the time to walk through the Lord's Prayer because it is absolutely that crucial for us to understand that this is what it means to be God's people, to be in His presence, to be renewed by Him, okay? So the first thing I want us to see from this particular passage and for us to note is that Jesus doesn't just quickly go on to what he needs. He doesn't just address God as Father and that intimate connection and just go on and start going, okay, well, here's what I need, God. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. He doesn't do that, right? There's another statement in here that we're looking at today that I want to make sure that we understand, okay? In fact, in his commentary on on this particular passage, William Barclay explains that there's actually six petitions all throughout the Lord's Prayer. He says the first three petitions have to do with God and the glory of God. The second three petitions have to do with our needs and necessities. That is to say, this is what he says, God is first given his supreme place and then and only then do we turn to ourselves and our needs and our desires. It's only when God is given his proper place that all the other things fall into their proper places. So don't miss this. Jesus is teaching his disciples that prayer is both intimate in the way that we relate to God as Father, but it's also positional. It's positional. In other words, while we know God as Father, we have to recognize we are not God. We are not him. Okay, we are not God. God alone is God. So, Keeping that in mind, let's break apart these next four words, okay? The first one, the first word that we see there is one that we actually, truthfully, we don't use it that often, right? I'm sure um, as you're in your day-to-day life, you're not sitting there going, hallowed. (laughs) Well, that was hallowed. I doubt you do that, right? I doubt that you're saying that very often, okay? But truthfully, we're actually probably using that better in context when we don't say it than if we do because it has a very important meaning, and I'm going to kind of break it apart for you in the Greek. The word in Greek is the word hagiazestai. That's hard to say and try saying that five times fast, okay? Hagiazestai. But the root of that, the root of that word is actually the word hagios in Greek. Maybe Maybe you've heard that before. If not, it's this idea. It's that you treat a person or a thing as holy, as holy. Now, we sang that a minute ago, right? We, we talked about, we said we were going to sing that the Lord is holy. The angels cry, creation cries, we cry, you are holy. Here's the problem. So many times in church, we don't understand what that means. We say it, right? We know that's on the Bible, holy Bible, but we don't understand what holy is. And sometimes I think that we get holy and righteousness a little bit confused. We think that they're one and the same, but they're not one and the same, Okay. Holy, to be holy, is to be set apart. It's to be distinct, other, separate. To give you an illustration, I thought of the best one that I could give. It'll break down, so please bear with me, all right? And I know that probably most of you in here are not hockey fans, okay? Uh, But I hope, I hope you've at least heard of Wayne Gretzky, 
Yeah, okay. Everybody's shaking their head to me? Yes, okay. Wayne Gretzky, known as the great one. That's literally his nickname, okay? For all of you kiddos, listen, if he, if he was playing right now, you'd call him the goat, okay? Um, because that's who he is. He is the great one. And to show you just how different Wayne Gretzky is, I've got some stats here that are going to blow your mind, okay? I read through them, and I was just like, boo, that's crazy, okay? So here we go. Here we go. First thing, in 21 seasons of playing, 21 seasons of playing, he was the top scorer 10 of those seasons. That's half the time that he played. He was the top scorer, okay? And of those 10 times where he was the top scorer, the average closest person to him was 49 points below him. That's crazy, okay? That's the average, okay? Um, He won eight consecutive NHL MVPs. Eight consecutive. Consecutive. (laughs) One after another. Okay, to give you perspective, any other sport, there's only been a person to do it four times in a row. He doubled it. (laughs) Eight times he won it in a row, okay? Now, again, I know that we're probably more football and baseball people, so I got you some baseball equivalents. Okay, here we go. Here we go. If he was playing baseball, Here's what Wayne Gretzky would have done. 90 homers, 420 batting average, 200 RBIs, eight years in a row. So you're understanding, right? This is like crazy. He is just absolutely crazy. Now, this one is the one that really got me the most. Okay, I'm going to end with this one. If you cut his scoring in half, he would still be 17 all time in the NHL. 17. He would still be a Hall of Famer if you cut his scoring in half. You see why he's altogether different? He's separate. He's in a whole stratosphere of his own when it comes to the NHL. That's what holiness is. It is altogether in a different stratosphere, completely distinct, completely unique, completely out of any category that we could describe. And that is what hallowed means. Now, here's the thing. When we say hallowed, it's actually not a descriptor of God, right? When Jesus is using that word, it's not an adjective. It's a verb. So when he says, hallowed be your name, what he's really saying is he's saying, your name be holy in my life. Be holy to me. Make yourself hallowed. Make yourself holy. God, remind me that you are distinct, that you are different, that your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are far different than my thoughts. Remind me of that. Remind me, God, of how different that you are. So it doesn't just say hallowed. It says hallowed be your name. So he's connecting it. Jesus is connecting this holiness, this hallowedness to the name of of God. And while at first it may just be that we're supposed to just set apart God's name, uh, that would make sense, especially in connection with the Old Testament, right? I mean, at this time, especially, Jesus's peers, his, uh, his, his contemporaries, they thought of God's name as so holy that they wouldn't even say it or write it, right? They, they wanted to take literally Exodus 27, where the God says, my name shall be honored. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God right? That's how distinct and separate they wanted to make it. 
Um, they were keeping it super, super strict. But while we might think that, here's what Jesus is actually trying to say, okay? He's saying more than keeping Y-A-H-W-E-H set apart, more than doing that, his name is more than just letters. His name is more than just letters because in Jewish culture, your name was your character. Your name represented who you were. That's why so many times in the Old Testament, we see these encounters that people have where their name is changed, right? Their name becomes something different. Or they may be born with a particular name because of a circumstance that happened. For example, we have people like Samuel, right? He's named particularly Samuel because of the circumstance in which Hannah receives him. Or Ichabod, it's a sad one. That means the glory has left that's whenever the Ark of the Covenant leaves Israel and is taken by the Philistines. Ichabod's what that means. Or even Mephibosheth, our friend that we saw back in November. All of these names were distinct because of the circumstances and the character of who they were. But my absolute favorite in the Old Testament has to be Jacob. Jacob. Jacob's name, it means to supplant or overreach. Now just think about this for a second, if you know your biblical history, right? Remember Jacob and Esau, they were born together? Remember what Jacob's doing whenever Esau's born? Clutching onto his heel, right? He's holding onto his heel. He's like, uh-uh, you ain't going out without me, bro, right? No way, buddy. And then as he gets older, of course, he schemes and thinks, okay, well, I'm the younger brother, which means I'm not going to get the inheritance. I'm going to figure out a way to get it, right? So he overreaches. So his character is his name. His name is his character. So I think that maybe Shakespeare wasn't quite right whenever he said, What's in a name? A rose by any other name swells, smells as sweet. I think the Jewish culture would have had a little different take on that than he does, okay? So, um, even this week, in our reading, in our Bible plan, as you were reading along, we read Psalm 25. And listen to what David says. He says, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. For the sake of your name. Why would he say that? Why do we say for your namesake? Because the name of God is the character of God. The name of God is the character of God. And David, just before in this psalm, he has declared that God is loving, faithful, and merciful. So when David says, because of your name, he's saying, God, you are loving, merciful, and forgiving. Would you forgive my sin? So he's connecting it back to the name of God, which is the character of God. It's essentially like he's saying, God, this is who you are. I know it to be true. Please be it now. Be who I know that you are. That's why throughout the Old Testament, we see God's name being named as Yahweh or Jehovah, and then there's some kind of descriptor of who God is, right? So you might have Jehovah Jireh the Lord who provides. You might have Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our victorious banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. And then there's countless others. But each of them is showing the character of God, the nature of who God is. But there's a catch. Even in the Old Testament, we see this. There's a catch. Those who are in relationship with God are the only ones who actually understand this nature and this character of God. Only the ones who are in a relationship with him can understand this character. 
You, you can't understand that if God has never been Jehovah Jireh. You can't understand if God has never provided for you. If you haven't seen his provision, you can't understand that that's who God is. That is the character of God. Just um, about a year after Emily and I got married, I was working two jobs. She was finishing school. She was finishing her master's degree. She's smarter than I am, y'all. Um, she was finishing her master's degree. Um, and so I was working two jobs, but we were praying about another job because this opportunity had been presented, but we were a little worried because financially, you know, it was really tough. I mean, we're a young married couple. She's going to school, trying to finish that out, um, trying to make ends meet, just be able to pay for her apartment and food and all that kind of stuff. And so as we're praying, we, we kind of just did a wise thing. We sat down and we looked at our budget, right? We said, okay, if, if I were to take this job, here's what I would make. And here's all of the expenses that we have. And so we prayed over it. We did the math and we looked at it and it came down to $1 left over. $1. We looked at each other and we were convinced God will provide. He will take care of us. That's what he's affirming to us. And y'all, guess what? God did provide. God cared for us. So we understood, we understand that God is a provider because the name of God is his character. It is who he is. And here's the most incredible thing. The covenant name of God, Yahweh, right? What every Hebrew would have known as Jesus was speaking this. Yahweh means, I am that I am. God doesn't need anything else to say. I am who I am. He is provider. He is healer. He is peace. He is the shepherd. He is those things. So, what does this all mean? What does it all mean for us to pray, hallowed be your name? Again, I think Barclay, uh, the commentator, his interpretation is so good right here. Here's how he translates this. He says, enable us to give you the unique place which your nature and character deserve and demand. So here's the thing. It's the desire of our heart should be this. God, in my life, in everything, would you be honored first and foremost? Would you be honored first and foremost because you, God, alone are worthy of it? You are worthy to be honored in every part of me. In other words, God, in my next breath, in my next step, in my next adventure, in my next, you name it, God, would you be honored? Would you be glorified? Would you have priority over everything? And the truth is, this isn't something that we just get to say and then kind of move on. It's not like we say, okay, I said it in the morning, God, you be honored this morning. And then we kind of move on. It's every moment, y'all. It's every moment. We're supposed to pray continually, Paul tells us. And so that means as we go throughout our day, if we start to see our eyes shift, if we start to see that we're putting ourselves first, we say, God, would you be honored? Would you be glorified? Not me, but you. Not me, but you. So it's a constant, it's a constant prayer for every moment and every minute of our day that we continue to put him as a priority. See, far too many of us keep God kind of around as a security blanket. Uh, we lean on him when we're in the middle of some crisis and we call on him to help us. God, come and help me. Yet when everything is sunny and wonderful and beautiful, we could care less we barely give him a second thought. He wants to be our first priority. He wants to be the most important thing to us. 
If you're a husband in here, the Lord is more important than your wife. If you are a wife in here, the Lord is more important than your husband. You need to hear me say that. Your relationship with God is more important than any other human relationship because, I'll go ahead and say this, it will define the rest of your relationships. It will define how you treat other people. Your relationship with God will do that. And that can only happen when we daily say, hallowed be your name, God. Pastor John Piper says it so well. I love what he says. He says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God receives the invitation to be hallowed in our lives when we find delight and joy in our relationship with him. And friends, there is only one way that we can find that delight in God. It's when we recognize how profound his love is for us, that he would give up his life while we were still sinners. He would willingly subject himself to the torture and ridicule of the cross so that we could be made right with him. You see, the cross was absolutely a demonstration of God's love for humanity, but it was also about how much he desires to be honored in our lives. He desires to be hallowed in our lives. And this part of Jesus' model prayer is absolutely dangerous when we really get down to it. It's the first request of the entire prayer. It's the first ask of the entire prayer. And it comes down to us doing this. God, you increase. Let me decrease. God, you increase. Let me be less. Let me become less so that you, God, can become great. As Christ followers, that should be the desire of our heart. That he be magnified, he be glorified, he be exalted, and we become less. See me less, see him more. Far too many times, though, instead of letting him be the star of our lives, we want to be the star of our own lives. We want to be the center of the show. And this morning, maybe, maybe you're recognizing that instead of asking for God to be made much of, you've been asking God to make much of you. Perhaps you need to stop and to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Forgiveness for being stubborn, for always making it about you and not making it about him, not honoring him, not prioritizing him, putting him first. And as I pray, and there's just a minute, would you confess that to him? Would you tell him that? Others in here, you come week after week, but you have not submitted yourself to Jesus as Lord. You are so grateful for salvation. Thank you, God, for saving me from my sin. But you're missing the part where you now respond by honoring him with your life. We are not our own, Paul says. We have been bought with a price. So this morning as we close, maybe you need to invite him to be Lord. I encourage wherever you lie, wherever you are this morning, would you do that as I pray? Let's pray. Father God, you are holy. Your name and who you are, your character, you are unlike us. You're different and separate, altogether in a, in a stratosphere of your own. 
at the same time you love us like children. God, that blows our mind. It blows our mind that you would love us that way, but at the same time, you're a God that is so unfathomable for us. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher than ours. But this morning, would you help us to be able to say with all of our hearts, in my life, in every aspect, that you would be first and that you would be honored and hallowed. God, would you make that the prayer of our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.